back there in the back hinterland somewhere, and you can't hear me to wave at me or get my attention, or I'll try to do better. All right, Matthew chapter 7 uh, this morning, as we continue our study through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're going to be dealing with verses 13 through 14 today, familiar portion of Scripture, I'm sure, to most of you. This is, these are the words of Jesus. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And it's God's word. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word, and we pray your blessing upon our time together in it this morning. We believe that this is your word. We believe it is given to us by full inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It has full authority over our lives. It is without error. And Father, it is, we believe, the agent of change. It is the means by which you change us and transform us as your Holy Spirit takes your word and applies it to our hearts. So I pray that you would do that this morning, that you would take the truth of your word, that you would apply it to our hearts, you would help us, O oh Father, to grow closer to Christ in our relationship with him as a result of our exposure to your word this morning. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God. As I've said uh, several times in this series of sermons, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us, describes for us, kingdom character. And he gives us what I call kingdom rules for kingdom living. It's all about life in the kingdom about how we are to live out our faith in Christ in this world while our citizenship is in another kingdom. While our citizenship really is in the kingdom of heaven. It's clear through the Sermon on the Mount as well as throughout all of Scripture that as God's people we are to be different and we are to look different from the world. Jesus says we are to be in the world but not of it. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed, be different. One of the ways that you can find how you are to be different and how you are to look different is by studying this great sermon of Jesus in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Jesus is drawing near to the end of the sermon. And as he does, he makes it clear that not everyone is in the kingdom. And he urges people to enter it. Really from uh, verse 13, where we began this morning, and all the way through verse 27, where we come to the end of the sermon itself, Jesus is making a distinction between those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. And he uses four illustrations to make that point. He talks about the right road, bearing the right fruit, making sure you have the right profession, and the last is to make sure you have the right foundation. The right road, the right fruit, the right profession, and the right foundation. 
That's where we're headed the next several weeks. This morning, we're going to look at the right road. Next week, the right fruit. The next week, the right profession. And then finally, we're going to conclude by looking at the right foundation. Each of those illustrations relates to membership in the kingdom of God. And each of them involves a choice. That is, you have a choice to be on the right road, to bear the right fruit, to make the right uh, um, profession, and to have the right foundation for your life. Now, some of you thoroughly reformed people out there may be looking at me askance this morning. And some of those of you who haven't fully embraced Reformed theology may be asking yourself, What? Do you really believe that man has a choice? Do you really believe that man can choose? Absolutely, I believe that. And I believe that because the Bible clearly teaches it. Throughout the Bible, sinners are called upon, urged, pleaded with to choose to follow the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, God said this to his people, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've said before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Then he goes on to say, so choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. You remember when Joshua was near the end of his life, he gathered the people together and he said, choose for yourselves whom you will serve. And he's going on to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's much like Elijah on Mount Carmel, who when he was challenging the prophets of Baal, said to Israel, if Baal is God, then you serve him. But if God is the Lord, then you choose to serve him. In John 6, I like to say it's one of the saddest Portions of the Bible. Because in John 6, Jesus has been at his pop, highest of his popularity. But in John 6, he, he teaches some hard things about eating his body, drinking his blood. And gradually, people begin to drift away until it's just him and the twelve. And Jesus turned to the twelve and said, What about you? Are you going to leave me too? Are you going to choose to follow them? Or are you going to choose to stay with me? You see, there is an ultimate choice that every person must make. We must choose to believe in Jesus or not to believe in Him. We must choose to follow Jesus and to live for Him or to follow the world and live according to its standards. We must choose to trust in Jesus alone for salvation and not to trust in our own self-righteousness, our own abilities or efforts. There is a clear choice that you must make. Now, as Reformed believers, we understand that behind all of that is the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, the fact that He indeed has chosen and is calling a people to himself. But the sovereignty of God never negates the responsibility of man. 
We cannot peer into the secret recesses of the mind of God. To see why he does what he does. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed belong to us and our children forever. There are some things we have to leave right there in the secret recesses of the mind of God. That's what we call living by faith. The tendency, you know, is always is to fall too far in either direction. Either to say, well, it's all up to man. He has the ability to resist the working of God, the plan of God, and to resist uh, the calling of the Holy Spirit in his life. It's all up to man. God can't do anything to bring him to salvation. On the other extreme is to say, man has nothing to do with it. It's all God's work, and he brings man kicking and screaming into the kingdom of heaven against his will. Neither of those is true. God does sovereignly work in the hearts and lives of people. We believe that. God has named a people for himself. Ephesians 1 says he did it before the foundation of the world. We believe that God issues an irresistible, irresistible call by His Holy Spirit, drawing people to salvation. And yet as God works in our hearts, there is the responsibility laid upon each one of us to respond to that call. Yes, to choose. To choose, as the Bible says, life over death. To choose salvation over destruction. To choose Christ over the world. We are called upon to make that choice. It's where Jesus brings us in verse 13. It's a lengthy introduction, I understand that. But I hope it set the table for what is before us here, where Jesus gives us a choice. It's a command. And the command is to make the right choices about certain things. Four things in these two verses where you have to make the right choice. One is you have to choose to enter by the right gate. You have to choose to go down the right road. You have to choose to follow the right crowd. You have to choose to go to the right destination. What does Jesus say? Verse 13. He talks about two gates. A narrow gate and a wide gate. Enter through the narrow gate, he says. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. The image here is of uh, you going down a road. And you come to two gates. You have to enter one of them. There's not a third option. There's no alternative. And these two gates before you are different in a couple of ways. One is they go in different directions. But the most notable difference is one is what Jesus says it's a wide gate, it's a broad gate. The other gate is narrow. One is narrow, and one is wide. 
And again, you have to enter through one of those two gates. Every person in life enters one of them. And the only choice you have is the wide gate or the narrow gate. And Jesus says in our text, enter through the narrow gate. Now the idea of a narrow gate is not very popular these days. You know, people want to think that all roads lead to heaven. That as long as you mean well, as long as you're sincere, it really doesn't matter what you believe. You know, the concept of a loving God who would somehow exclude anyone, especially someone who tried hard, who would exclude anyone from his kingdom, is unthinkable and strange to many people. Conservative evangelical Christians like us are scorned many times because we believe what Jesus says about a narrow gate. Believing, you know, in the biblical teaching about a narrow gate makes you a narrow person. If you're going to believe Jesus, if you're going to follow him, you've got to believe in a narrow gate. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. In the verses we read from John 10 earlier in our unison reading of Scripture, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. That's how narrow Jesus describes it. He is the way. He is the door. No, it's more than that. He is the only way. He is the only door. And there is salvation in no one else. No one comes to the Father, Jesus says, but through me. I am the door. If you want to have life, Jesus says, you have to enter through me. We proclaim a narrow gospel because Jesus proclaimed it. Also the apostles proclaimed it. And Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 4, talking about faith in Jesus, he said, There is salvation in no one else. Hear that? Salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, Peter said, given under heaven among men, by which we must be saved. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. And that is the man Christ Jesus. If anyone says there is any other way to be saved or to be right with God or to have eternal life apart from Jesus Christ, they are simply denying the truth of God's word. The Bible has such a narrow view of salvation that it clearly says that Jesus is the only one who can grant it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door. And we must enter through him. The gate is so narrow that Jesus is the only one through whom you can pass. Well, what does that narrow gate mean in practical terms? Well, for one, it means that you must go through that gate alone. You can't take anyone with you through that gate. The decision that you make to follow Jesus and to trust in Him is one of the most personal decisions you ever make in your life. 
No one can make it for you. No one can force you to make it. You must make that decision on your own. You must choose to enter that gate. And we enter it by faith, through grace, one person at a time. Kind of like going through a turnstile. But also, as you enter that narrow gate, there are some things that you can't take with you. Because the gate is so narrow, there are some things that you have to leave behind. You have to leave behind your own sense of self-righteousness. Your own sense of self-worth. Your own sense of self-accomplishment. What does the old hymn say? Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. You have to come empty-handed because there is nothing you can give in exchange for salvation. You have to come naked because your righteousness, the best you have to offer, the Bible says, is no better than filthy rags. It's a narrow gate. Enter through it, Jesus says. Now you can tell I spent most of my time this morning on the first point. I've done that because the other three flow from it. And I'll be much more brief on the other three illustrations Jesus uses. There is, in the second place, Jesus says, not just a narrow gate, but there are two roads. And just as there is a narrow gate and a wide gate, Jesus says there is a narrow road and a broad road. The way or the road leads somewhere or to something. The narrow gate leads to a narrow road. The broad gate, wide gate, leads to a broad road. You've got to understand something. Your choice of a gate determines your choice of a road. The broad road's an easy road. You can take just about anything you want with you. You don't have to change your lifestyle. You don't have to believe in a particular belief system, embrace a moral way of life. It's very alluring and it's very seductive. Lots of people go down that road, as we'll see. You can even take uh, some knowledge of Jesus with you on that road. You can take some knowledge of Bible stories with you. You can take some years of church attendance with you down that broad road. You can go down with all your sense of self-achievement, proud of your accomplishments, trusting in your own self-righteousness. Because, see, going down that broad road requires no commitment, no character, no obedience, no sacrifice. It's a road that's all about self. And so you can feel real good about yourself as you go down that broad road. But now road's not nearly so inviting. Going down the narrow road, in fact, is demanding and hard. It requires that you repent of your sin, that you forsake your love of the world, that you deny yourself. The Bible is clear in saying that when you go down that narrow road, it's difficult, it's hard, it's arduous. You know, Paul describes the person on that narrow road as an athlete, one who has to discipline himself, who conditions himself, 
who trains hard to make it to the end of the road. Describes the person on that road as a soldier who puts on a complete armor, who always stays on the alert, who fights against an unseen enemy all the way down that road. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Jesus described someone on this road as someone who mourns over his sin, who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, who makes for peace. We do people a disservice when we tell them, you just come to Jesus, all your problems will be solved. Sometimes when you come to Jesus, your problems are just starting. Because it's easy on the broad road. You just go along with the flow. But to go down that narrow road is to be countercultural, is to go against the flow. It is to encounter persecution. Jesus said, or Paul said, through many tribulations we shall enter the kingdom of God. It's a narrow road. It's a hard road. But as we'll see, it's the road that leads to blessing. Third place, we see Jesus talk about two crowds. You see on this uh, broad road, there is a large crowd of people, huge throng. On the narrow road, there aren't nearly so many. Jesus says, relatively few. In fact, Jesus says in the text, verse 13, end of it, there are many who enter through it. That is the broad gate. End of verse 14, with the small gate and the small road, there are few who find it. You see, as you stand at the uh, entrance of these two gates, you see far more people pouring through that wide gate and going down that broad road than you see entering through the narrow gate and going down the narrow road. The temptation is always to follow the crowd. There's no security in numbers in making this important decision. In fact, following the crowd is one of the most dangerous things you can do. It can lead to devastating consequences. It's also true in regard to choosing the right road or entering the right path. Going along with the crowd, following the majority is the easy thing to do. Choosing to follow Jesus, to commit your life to Him, sometimes is far more difficult. But it does have eternal consequences. And that's what we see in the fourth place where Jesus talks about two destinations. These two roads lead somewhere. Now again, you are on one of those two roads this morning. There is no third option. This morning you have either entered through the narrow gate and you're going down the narrow road that Jesus leads to life. Or you've entered the broad gate. You're going down the wide road that leads to destruction. See, those are the two destinations. Only two roads. Only go two places. One goes to destruction. One goes to life. One goes to heaven. Another goes to hell. Jesus says the gate is 
wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Many are there who find it. But narrow is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and few there be who find it. Don't think your choice of a gate and your choice of a road doesn't matter. It matters. It matters eternally. Your eternal destiny is determined by it. You know, the problem is there's so many people, so many people on the broad road who don't realize its end is destruction. There are so many people on the broad road who think they're doing the right thing. As we'll see in future sermons as we finish this chapter, they've been deceived by false teachers into thinking that all roads lead to heaven. It doesn't matter what you believe or what you do or that your righteousness really will count for something. There are people who are going down their merry way on this broad road to destruction thinking they're going to heaven. We're going to see that later in two weeks. And some people are going to be surprised, aren't they? Jesus said, Some will, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? And didn't we do that? Doesn't it count? Doesn't it count for something? And Jesus will say, what? Depart from me. Depart from me. I never knew you. There is a, a narrow gate. And the gate is Jesus. There is a narrow road. And the road is the Christian life. A life of obedience and trust and faithfulness and service. There's a small crowd. It's believers. People who have a mutual faith in Jesus and a love for Him. And there are two destinations. Make sure you've entered through the narrow gate, you're on the narrow road that leads to life. There is only one way. It's not through church membership. It's not even through church attendance. It's not by being a good neighbor or a good citizen. It's not by even serving the body of Christ. There is only one way, and that is through faith and trust in Jesus alone. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Baptism won't save you. Christian parents won't save you. The only thing that can save you Jesus. The way, the door, and the narrow gate. Jesus says, enter by it. If you're not sure this morning where you are, 
or what road you're on. If you're sitting there wondering if maybe I am trusting in something other than Jesus. Yeah, I am depending upon my own ability, my own efforts, what I've done, who I am. If you have those questions this morning, I want you to point you again to the reality of a Savior. You realize these are the most important discussions we have because your eternal destiny does depend upon it. Make sure, make sure, make sure that you're entering the narrow gate and you're going down the narrow road that leads Father, thank you so much again for your word. Sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. Sometimes it's not the way we would have written it. And dear Father, we know it is your word. It shows us your will, your way, your character. Oh, Father, we pray that this morning we would find ourselves entering through the narrow gate, even Jesus himself, that we would be down, going down the narrow road of commitment and trust in him, that we would find ourselves walking with people of like faith who love Jesus. And we find ourselves on the way to life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.